being the worst, episode 13, recorded live, Monday, October 22nd, 2012. From beingtheworst.com, it's the Being the Worst podcast, audio apprenticeships for the aspiring software craftsman, with your hosts, Carrie Street and Renat Abdullin. In this episode, a homework question takes the conversation to unplanned places. They start with clarifying application and domain services, but end up discussing many things. From system design, tactical options like CKRS and service-oriented architecture, to an attempt to influence a presidential election. And now, here are Carrie and Renat. Hey guys, welcome back. This is Carrie, and I'm here with Renat as usual. Renat, how are you? Pretty good, pretty good as usual. Thank you. <laughs> cool. We really need to think of something else to say because I think if we look back, I say the exact same thing every time. But hey, it's consistent, I guess. Well, we can start uh, diving into the Russian curse words from the next Ooh, episode. That'd be awesome. I'd love to learn a couple of those. I think I know a couple of them, but I probably shouldn't say them because I'm not 100% sure what they mean. But I was, I was just was told that they're, it's really, really bad. <laughs> so uh, you could tell me uh, offline how bad they are or not. But um, so in this episode, we're going to jump into continuing what we restarted in episode 12. There was just a lot of material to cover. Uh, again, we're wrapping up our factory domain and getting you guys the building blocks to get this thing production worthy. There was just so much stuff in that uh, in that solution to cover that we ran out of time. So we've already covered the domain project, so all the stuff in .domain. And in this episode, we intend to get into the stuff that's uh, related to the project of domain.test, uh, which, of course, as you would expect, has our specifications and the unit tests that are going to host those application services we talked about last time. But before we jump into that, Renat, I had a couple of questions about uh, some of the stuff I was doing in Episode 12, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Sure, go ahead. Okay, so in Episode 12, there was a reference about 40-so minutes in, and we were talking about application services and domain services. There was an implication there that an application service doesn't necessarily always have to host aggregates with event sourcing. It could also do other things like maybe generate IDs, uh, just like a domain service could. So I was wondering if you could clarify a little bit the difference in your mind between an application service and a domain service. Okay. Uh, within this approach, the application services are just classes which contain multiple command handlers or multiple command handling methods. And application service is a wire uh, that sits on a server that becomes part of application server itself. And uh, the application server passes down the commands which arrive to it, mm-hmm. uh, and it takes these commands, deserializes them, and invokes specific methods within the application service. Right. And then the application service, so basically it's just kind of container shell or host. Mm-hmm. And this shell and host, it contains functionality that will be invoked. One of the options, and that, that, that is the option that we were talking about, is to put uh, aggregates with event sourcing inside that uh, container, inside that host. Obviously, application service can have other ways of implementing logic. Mm-hmm. Uh, another way is, for example, to put different stored procedures or calls to stored procedures or uh, transaction scripts or direct calls to the database inside the application service. Okay. However, uh, this way it will be quite difficult or unpleasant to test these application services because you're uh, passing in commands, and these commands were, will be transformed into some method calls, and it can get messy. 
Okay. So in order to keep things clean and separate, we would prefer to keep application services as merely a shell, shells and hosts that deal with some uh, cross-cutting concerns. They bring different concepts together. So, for example, in case of uh, application services with event sourcing, application service is only responsible for taking commands in, for loading uh, aggregate from the store, for passing the command into the method of an aggregate, and then saving the results back to the event store. Mm-hmm. It also uh, can happen to pass additional units of functionality, which might be helpful to an aggregate and which aggregate will be using. One way to call this uh, additional units of uh, functionality, for example, domain services. Okay. So domain service, in this specific case, is just a service or class that implements an interface or interface mm-hmm. that will be handed down to the aggregate uh, so that it can uh, use additional functionality. So, for example, when we were talking about a factory, we initially started by supporting only a single type of machine to be produced, Model T, mm-hmm. which may, was made immortal by Henry Ford. Right. However, as we move forward, we might be interested in introducing additional types of models of cars. Mm-hmm. And this collection of schematics or blueprints about different models of cars is not actually something with a really complex behavior. That's just a library of blueprints, library of schematics. And it might be easier for the factory to not to keep that in head of some workers, or but just rather put it on a shelf, put it on the library. So a library, in this case, it is a domain service that simply helps us to implement model uh, car producing functionality. Okay. And one additional note. So while we're talking about the aggregates, uh, we were mo- mostly talking about event sourcing and the domain boundaries. However, if we think about that, even services which are not inside the aggregate, they are also kind of small coherent un- uh, units of boundaries as well. Mm-hmm. So the library, I think it was called iCar Blueprint Library. Yes, it was. Uh, with its uh, a single word, with, with a single method, which was called like try to get yes. a car, bl- car blueprint, mm-hmm. and it had a single value object, requirements of car part or something like this. Yes. So in a sense... That's a small sentence. That's a tiny story. Well, even, even a kid's story about a car blueprint library. Mm-hmm. But it's a coherent story. And in a sense, that can be considered as an aggregate without behaviors, but with a really specific functionality. So application service takes this domain service and passes it down to the aggregate so that it can use this outside specific functionality to carry its functionality forward. Mm-hmm. Got it. Uh, so domain service, in this case, it's a unit of code, unit of services, units of like service implementing code, unit of helping code that does not really belong to the core logic of aggregate domain, but it's something that supports it. And while doing that, it's small, coherent, maybe has a, a small story of its own, even if that's just a simple sentence or two. Uh, and we can explain it. We can explain it, its functionality in a few words. Mm-hmm. And what's more important, this is a set of functionality that can be maybe replaced or implemented as a mock service. And uh, the real implementation can also be tested uh, separately and maybe delegated to a different team or different developer to be implemented separately. Okay. So while we're talking about application services, either with uh, aggregates or without the aggregates, one of the additional things that can help us to implement them, no matter how complex they are, 
is the small internal boundaries, which are maybe slightly like bounded context, but they're less subtle. It's like sentences or paragraphs within a big story. And if we try to cluster our code using some concepts like value objects and domain services so that the boundaries of this implementation objects which would match these paragraphs, it would make it much easier for the people and for the teams maybe to distribute work or to understand what's going in. Consider two situations. You're a high school student and you're given a task to translate text from English to Russian. Mm -hmm. In one case, you're said that, okay, please translate this text starting from the third, oh no, 13th word in paragraph A and up to 47th word in paragraph B. And actually, like, not exactly 37th word, but 37th word, second letter. <laughs> and in other case, you are asked to translate first paragraph in its own. Okay. So what I'm trying to say is that the code in itself is a, one of the ways in which we capture the problem space, in which we capture it's our representation of the main model. And while we were talking before, we were said that the boundaries of an aggregate the boundaries of application service, they should match these bigger boundaries of uh, bounded contexts, which are identified by the teams maybe working, uh, by really huge or noticeable differences in the language, by outstanding blocks of entities of concepts that belong together. However, these boundaries, these inherent borders, they exist all on different on all levels. Mm-hmm. So as we zoom inside the uh, contents of an aggregate, we will see uh, these boundaries as well. And if we try to use some of these boundaries, which are natural, to help us to decouple complex functionality coming together, it will help and simplify our development tasks and simplify splitting tasks between multiple developers. And I think uh, this episode might be turning out not exactly about uh, testing aggregate services, but while on the topic, I would like to just share a few more insights that I've gained recently while working on the data platform project. This stuff might seem really obvious to other developers, but since my computer science education is going backwards, <laughs> uh, since there was no economic, uh, since there was no computer science in my university uh, course, <laughs> uh, so I find it really fascinating. Cool. So there is in the world of DDD and event sourcing, there is a term called SecureS. SecureS, which is uh, Command Query Responsibility Segregation, and it is a tactical concept. Outside the event sourcing world, there is another uh, term which is called service-oriented architectures. Service-oriented architectures are an approach, a set of methodologies and patterns, which explain how to design software using uh, a form of interconnected interoperable services. So essentially, you build an entire system from a mesh of services that are well-defined and are quite easy to make work together. Right, it's kind of like a mashup, sort of. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And some say that cloud computing or all the stuff that Amazon is doing is just a glorified service-oriented architecture. Okay. Personally, I don't really like SOA as well because it claims to uh, offer a solution for designing systems especially large and complicated systems. Well, and it does solve the problem partially. However, from the very start, it says that it will use the technology of services. Mm-hmm. And in my personal opinion, it's better to start uh, with always with the domain 
being as a guiding light for your uh, architecture and design as opposed to a single technology because technologies are less relevant. I see. However, service-oriented architecture in its sense uh, has a lot of value because it talks about services almost in the same way that CQRS with event sourcing talks about aggregates. Services are kind of atomic. They control and own their data and they talk to each other. And if we actually start looking into some of good and nice code coming from the source side, especially the code that is tested using behavior-driven approach, then we might see that sometimes the tests are structured quite similarly to how aggregate tests are structured. Hmm. We might have like entire fixture that is testing a single method of a service. Maybe it's setting up the situation, uh, like the state of a service. Then it's calling the method of a service it's testing. And then it's running a set of assertions. That's exactly the match that we have with aggregates, where we set up the state of an aggregate by describing the history of the past transitions, by describing events that happened in the past. Then we test a method on an aggregate by calling a method. And then we assert that outgoing events or an exception are exactly what we match. Right. So, in essence, there is a lot that can be learned from uh, service-oriented architectures, both in uh, designing the code and also in making sure that the code development practices that work, that people are working to collaborate productively, that for formats are stable, more or less, etc., etc. And so... From the purely technical perspective, maybe SOA and aggregates with event sourcing are quite opposite. If we were looking at the SOA as a tactical uh, pattern that helps us to structure the code within the boundaries of a single project, within the boundaries of a single assembly. However, these are like two opposite sides of the coin. Service within a service-oriented architecture is something atomic, is something coherent, is something that encapsulates complex and messy details and that serves out the contract. Aggregate inside event sourcing, well, aggregate with event sourcing, is uh, something that hides complexity, but this complexity is not technical. It's more domain complexity. It handles like this behavior details. It also hides the messy details about how this is implemented. Well, in fact, these messy details are completely discardable because we can rewrite the way events are projected into the state. And aggregate with event sourcing, it serves to fulfill the contract. Contract is the key, and the contract is depend in uh, is expressed in commands, events, and how they correlate with each other. Mm-hmm. And so the same principles of shaping the boundaries of an aggregates, which are like follow the domain, follow the force look, make sure that the words are coherent, they can be applied to the service or, uh, services, more technical services as well. Mm-hmm. Did you say follow uh, the force, Luke? No, no. Uh, <laughs> yes. uh, what's the word? Hallucination, have you heard, my friend? <laughs> uh, and so uh, when we're talking about an application service, application service is just a shell. It's just a host that contains functionality. And at this level, it contains both technical functionality and behavioral functionality. Technical functionality can be expressed in terms of like pure technical services without any events inside, without any behaviors, and that's domain services. And behavioral functionality can be expressed in terms of aggregates with event sourcing. 
So all the things that we were mentioning about aggregates with event sourcing, how the unit test can be structured, how we can try to find the vocabulary to shape the domain, to shape the boundaries of aggregates, they can somehow be applied to the domain service as well. Mm-hmm. Also, and maybe more often than not, you can arrive at situations where you have really little of behavioral code. You have more technical stuff. Maybe you need to interact with a complex database. Uh, maybe you need to have some really complex interaction with a file I.O. system through a couple of layers with a bit of caching and indexing and making sure that this uh, done thing is concurrent, uh, concurrently safe. And the same approach that we used to identify the boundaries and evolve the domain in aggregates with event sourcing, it can be taken from the DDD and applied to purely technical domain as well. You can start by identifying the uh, big boundaries about the functionality that we're trying to implement. And then we can try to define the contract of this outside functionality and cover it by unit tests. Mm-hmm. So we have our kind of uh, bounded context of a pure technical service, of a domain service maybe. And then after we have fixed our outside contract, we can continue evolving the internal implementation and maybe breaking it down into a set of smaller services as we go. However, we'll be sure that the outside is fixed, so outside contract is uh, still fulfilled, so our functionality evolves independently and rather reliably. So uh, the idea and that uh, really long off-topic discussion was triggered by a question about domain services <laughs> and application services. Mm-hmm. Domain services are services that are used by application service to help behavioral code. Uh, and these domain services maybe don't contain behavioral functionality, but they help to implement and host some technical stuff. You were talking about the patterns that are basically applicable to both the general high-level concepts applicable to you know this this approach and the services, and we can use the same kind of techniques when we implement domain services. And so, uh, well, that's my take on kind of what you're saying is so uh, so is more applicable to that technical stuff that we might abstract away from the aggregates. Yes. So and also presence of SOA and basically presence of domain services of purely technical stuff into which we don't put uh, event sourcing. It's kind of a safe way, safety, uh, how is it called, thing that helps to take uh, the excessive pressure out of the system. <laughs> so basically, like the stuff that they have in trains, they used to have in steam trains mm-hmm. to make sure that the damn thing doesn't blow off. Okay, so basically, uh, domain services and the fact that not all of the domain goes in, uh, and can be expressed by the behavioral logic and by the behavioral code offers us escape route from the mental disorder that I call Renat tries to implement everything using event sourcing in a system and then the entire uh, team starts hating him for that. (laughs) The takeaway I'm getting from that is although you may have initially had the impression that SOA was a little bit too focused on starting with services, which is a technical implementation detail, the overall patterns that we use to apply the design of our aggregates plus event sourcing and the way we think about them is also present in the SOA approach. And if you are finding yourself needing to abstract away some of those other boundaries that are more specific to, I don't know, integration to other systems, uh, very specific SAP, Oracle, 
domain specific specialties that you rely on but don't necessarily want to get into the gory details of that team may be able to implement those details and with a SOA based approach using the same high level thinking that we use here and then you are able to take advantage of that in your domain specific approach your DDD driven approach as a domain service yes absolutely And so uh, basically so far we see kind of uh, interplay between two opposites. Mm -hmm. Uh, Between the aggregates with event sourcing, which represent clean behavioral code that doesn't use anything except like pure C-sharp in our case. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't use any external libraries. And on the other extreme, we can have domain services, which are not that clean and beautiful in sense of behaviors and events. But in a sense, they are clean and pure in the way they handle their own object, in the way they handle their own technical domain, in the way they handle their own problem and concern. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in other words, aggregates with event sourcing are a solution that can fit a really specific set of problems. Domain services or a pure service-oriented architecture as a tactical pattern is an approach that can provide a solution to a set of specific problems as well. And fortunately, these problems, they don't overlap much with the behavioral code. Hmm. And so these are both tactical level approaches. And the higher level approach is still a domain-driven design or the general principle where you try to focus your design as closely as possible on solution of problems that are worth solving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that helps a lot because I... A lot of times when you see these types, when you see distributed system discussions happening around the internet, you often see this approach compared and contrast or mentioned in the same sentence as SOA, and that often spins into which one's better, and it's it seems almost uh, like a religious discussion sometimes, and I think what you're saying is there's ways for the world to harmoniously exist together here, and, and when you apply them to the appropriate problem you're trying to solve. Yes, and partially one can say that SOA is as bad when used alone as CQRS is. Because CQRS is too a technical pattern that can provide some solutions, some methodologies, for example, for breaking down work between distributed teams using commands, events. However, using CQRS as the design principle, as a way to shape your system, is the one of the best ways to end up in a horrible mess of entangled commands and events and when you don't know when you don't really know what the hell is happening to your system i know that for sure because i've been there after dragging myself (laughs) well i think that you know are there any other things we would want to say because this sort of evolved into more of a bigger picture you know how do you mesh large bounded contexts or large multi-domains together you know into a giant, you know, if you have a bunch of countries and you're trying to unify them all together and they have different languages and boundaries, it turned into a discussion like that. Is there anything else we'd want to say about that? Because I think what we'll end up doing is finishing up this topic a little bit, stopping, and then continuing on reviewing that project and, and maybe make this a an episode that we weave in between the two or something like that. Okay. And actually, um, the number of the episode 13 Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of uh, harmoniously interplays with the term SOA because <laughs> I think, yeah, it, in Dutch, uh, SOA is sexually transmitted disease. Oh, jeez. Oops. Well, no. 
Uh, okay, so basically, SOA is uh, well. Let's forget about the SOA uh, services. So when we look at our big country map of our domain, what we have learned in the previous episodes is to focus on natural boundaries that exist there, maybe on the languages people speak, uh, maybe on geographical borders, etc., etc. However, there are, and we were trying to base our uh, solutions like implementation of our systems on these boundaries to make sure that our solutions, that our implemented domains fit into these boundaries nicely so that there are no clashes. However, in real world, not everything fits within a single boundary. There are some entities that inherently cross these boundaries. For example, if you look at the European Union, there are, for example, international, no, international monetary fund is fund, I think it's United States. Oh no, that's global. So, uh, uh, long story short, there are, fi- there are financial institutions, there are political institutions, there are even religious institutions that cross the boundaries of a single country mm-hmm. that global, that maybe are transnational. And you will not notice them if you look at the context map from the pure linguistical perspective. However, when you start uh, looking at the context map from the uh, like more technical perspective or more from infrastructural perspective, these trans uh, systems, they become apparent. Mm-hmm. And partially when you're building uh, your system and you're breaking it nicely in subdomains that fit within the bounded context, uh, you might have that certain entities that cross these boundaries and they, that unify them. Mm-hmm. It can be maybe some unified messaging system or it can be some email delivery system that is relatively small but it somehow end up being used by multiple bounded, by domains within multiple bounded contexts. And so that's something that doesn't contain a lot of behavior, but it contains functionality and it contains rather fixed contract because we all know what to expect from the email service, mm-hmm. email delivery service. The language of this email delivery service has been stabilized by generations. We know, we know that there is a recipient, that there is an email address, that there is a carbon copy, that there are, there are BCs, that there is a subject, that there is a body. Mm-hmm. That's a language. In yeah. essence, that's a small domain of its own. Yes. And so if we realize that and if we understand that, we can benefit from this by actually implementing this service only once and making sure that its useful functionality is exposed to all uh, other implementing domains in a simple way. And this way... The individual domains, subdomains, that usually tend to like have a copy of their own language and like have a copy maybe of the information that belongs to them. So that these domains will not be forced to re-implement the email service on their own so that they can use the shared email service. Mm-hmm. I'm calling that ubiquitous infrastructure. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> sort of. might be making it's a up knowledge spot and yeah, making it, yeah that's not a real word i'm B, i'm bsing right now don't listen to well, me <laughs> but the, there's th- basically there's things that transcend domains and it's it's sort of like this stabilized infrastructure we all ne- know we need roads and someone needs to build the roads because we all have agreed over many many years since we had cars and stagecoaches that we'd like someone to build some roads to get us some places so can we just build some roads and not worry about that so much <laughs> you know So, uh, basically, there are things that end up repeating, uh, showing up in multiple domains, 
but they're like so coherent, they're so repetitive, they're so obvious, they have such a strong natural boundary of, of its own, although they happen to show up in multiple boundaries, that that's definitely a, a standalone entity. Maybe it doesn't have its unique identity, but it's something really coherent that when we explain these functionalities to somebody else, our ubiquitous language, the domain experts will understand that. In such case, and when we encounter situations of repeating functionality that shows up at multiple spots, maybe this is a candidate for the domain service or basically just some other service that will be hosted in the central place or maybe replicated as a reusable uh, library or framework. Mm-hmm. And that will be, maybe if we're using behavioral code, will be injected by application service as a domain service inside the aggregate method call. You can see the evolution over time where something t- today that may start out as a very specific bounded context or domain that makes sense to apply DDD to will someday maybe be relegated to the realm of commodity infrastructure that everyone has finally agreed to and, and then thus the circle of life and evolution of, of software development moves forward, basically. Yes, and that's one of the many possible variations of the future. The most important part is that this, well, this entire global domain of a company or organization or whatever environment you're working in, it will be evolving. And as it's evolving, it's like the ocean, it's like the world map. It's constantly shifting and it's constantly changing. New structures are forming regularly and sometimes they are breaking down or they're merging or they're falling apart. And you can either try to force different boundaries and different relations just because you think that it would work or you can look carefully and craft these boundaries and uh, extract the contents of this within these boundaries into separate entities while still being aware that a few years down the road the forces will change the picture and you will be forced to discard maybe some of the entities and remerge uh, their functionality into something else. Mm-hmm. And uh, while we're talking about that, there is a a method from domain-driven design, which is called context mapping, which we were talking about before. It's exactly the tool that helps its methodology, or a set of principles that explains how to look at the existing and immense problem space and start figuring out what are the boundaries and which of the functionality uh, can be grouped together and implemented together and or maybe outsourced or delegated together. And in being the worst podcast, we started by talking about one of the ways how uh, like separate specific objects or specific functionality can be grouped together. And that was aggregates with event sourcing. Domain services or services from service architecture are one additional way or one additional tool of how you can uh, look at the uh, context map and figure out that this set of uh, entities or objects or whatever, they can be grouped together and expressed nicely and maintained for a bit of time together in an efficient way. Mm-hmm. And as we'll move forward with being the worst, we might be discovering and discussing some other ways of capturing and expressing that functionality in the code or maybe in business processes. And uh, like these new tools or new ways or even like difference between demand services and uh, aggregates with event sourcing, these are not necessarily contradicting each other. These are just different tools that work efficiently in a specific situations, in specific environments. 
And each tool has its legacy, which is, can be good and bad. Each tool can have a set of methodologies, well-known experts, consultants, tooling, software, good jokes, bad jokes. And if somebody is willing and desiring to become a true systems architect, knowledge of these different tools available out there in the world and knowledge of patterns and problems which these tools can solve efficiently, it can help you to gain quite a lot and move quite far. Yeah, I, I agree. And because you went down this road, we ended up talking about basically broader system design in the real world and how these components and knowing about these different approaches come together to generate a, a business solution. And when you hear people talk about these kinds of things, uh, and SOA had, was also sort of spoken in the same sentences, enterprise service buses and service buses in general. And then we sort of heard about end service bus and maybe we can get into a little bit. Does SOA and in-service bus have anything to do with each other? Or is in-service bus the same thing as CQRS? And, you know, like I think there's some confusion about, well, Udi talks about CQRS as well as Greg, but Greg and Udi seem to do things the same sometimes in different other ways. And Greg has an event store and Udi has in-service bus. It starts to jumble together in my head as to, okay, so does everyone build systems using all this stuff or do you – pick one path or the other, or why would you pick one or the other? Like, what, What's your opinion on some of that stuff? <laughs> so uh, we have a huge problem space. Uh, we have different demands. We have different niches. And this huge problem space is completely mixed up. Mm-hmm. And there are like people that work in specific areas, and they maybe know only a set of group of people around them. They know specific tools, and they know specific languages. They have certain tools that they want to market, because that's how they make money, or they have certain conferences where they go, or they have like certain beliefs, etc., etc. So when Udi is talking about service-oriented architecture, his uh, distributed course or a service bus, he's partially being objective, being a well-known expert, and partially he's being subjective, uh, being limited by his experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Greg is talking about event sourcing, and using uh, his event store and using state-driven uh, state, uh, finance state machines to uh, capture complex technical requirements and business processes, he's both being objective and uh, subjective because of his experience. Mm-hmm. He's uh, both empowered and limited by, by it. Right. So, uh, this applies uh, to everybody. Yep. So uh, what I'm trying to say is that there are a lot of tools that are available out there and there are a lot of people that talk about these tools. Mm-hmm. And each tool, it contains a little bit of evangelism around it. It contains a bit of marketing. It contains of a good history, bad legacy. Mm-hmm. Good legacy, bad legacy. So uh, when we're talking about, for example, in service bus, so in uh, service bus is a, well, it's a service bus. That's kind of how you implement semi-generic framework for implementing service-oriented architecture in your enterprise. Okay, wait. So before we go into that, because I've heard different definitions over the years of what a service bus even is. So when you're using the end service bus approach, is it sort of assumed that you're using a SOA-based approach to solving your problem and this bus is the thing that ties the services and access to the services together? Well, you don't really need to be adept of a service-oriented, service-oriented architecture to benefit from end-service bus. Mm-hmm. 
However, uh, I believe since uh, Answerus Bus is so tightly based to SOA principles, and it is taught and sold together in one bundle, so you would get uh, the most benefit of it uh, using if you use, uh, stick to service-oriented paradigms. Okay. So Answerus Bus is a way to decouple endpoints and services, basically to deploy them, to manage them, and to make sure that they interoperate rather efficiently using uh, messaging. Okay. So it's kind of messaging middleware, but with additional discovery capabilities, with retry capabilities, with uh, capability to do uh, some load balancing and also request and reply. Okay. And the way that we solve that problem or I'm assuming we have similar problems that an in-service bus solves for those people that use it. And the way you would solve those types of problems with this approach is via, I mean, we're both using messaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, we use an event store. I don't know if there's event stores in that case or not. Um, if you're not using in-service bus and you probably are not at LOCAD right now, what problems does it solve for people that you're solving in another way and how do you solve it? Okay, uh, let's imagine a situation where a large enterprise, they want to implement event sourcing or they want like to capture some business functionality and uh, it has to be a distributed system and they want to have it done fast. They don't have a lot of geeks that are willing to spend uh, weekends on digesting some complex open source architecture, mm-hmm. but this corporation has money and they're interested in commercial support and they're interested in a well-known community. Mm-hmm. So in this situation, one of the and given that this company is sitting in the data world, objectively, one of the best solutions would be to go for a service bus. Mm-hmm. It has a wide community and it has commercial support, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay. And being a service bus, being something where some place where you can call messages, well, where you can dispatch messages, so uh, you can actually take. I guess with event sourcing approach and host it inside in service bus. We can plug in uh, Greg's event store or look at Secure's event store and uh, receive these events inside these event stores. And you can also plug RavenDB as a place where you persist your views and maybe project them to some secondary views. Mm-hmm. So in service bus is just a technology which is somewhat opinionated which is being sold with additional consulting and additional bundles and which has a wide enterprise community. Okay. So it's a tool with its own benefits, merits, etc. Okay. Likewise, RevenDB, it's just a tool that is developed by an Andrachian or, or an any that has really good .NET support and especially a really good story of getting started to use that. Because Orin has been pushing uh, quite a lot of effort into reducing development friction. So getting started with that is quite easy. It also has uh, open source version with viral license. And sometimes we have issues with indexes. Okay. So once again, in some cases, RavenDB is a really good fit. In some cases, it's like, for example, for a huge enterprise company that requires software to be supported by a company with at least uh, 100 people. So if uh, half of these people uh, die, the product will still be stable. RavenDB will not fit. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about the technologies or tools, it's better to try to avoid judging about the tool only from the perspective of what is listed in the feature lists. Mm-hmm. Any tool, it comes with a lot of baggage. 
and how in domain-driven design we're learning that a specific functionality, a specific aggregate is actually tied to a lot of concepts on different layers of existence. It's tied to the outside aggregates. It's tied to the messaging level of existence. It's tied to the linguistic. It's tied to the problems. It's tied to the solutions. It's tied to the stories. It's tied to the text specifications. And this somehow might be tied to how we split our code and distribute it between multiple machines or to run or between multiple teams to develop. Likewise, any tool or architecture or methodology when thinking about it or judging its applicability, it's better to think about it from the multiple levels of its qualities. Okay. That makes sense. Well, <laughs> so that one question turned into about an hour, 45 minutes. <laughs> but uh, no, I, th- I think it was good stuff. Are, is there any other thoughts on the top of your head related to how you approach sort of designing your conglomeration of systems and putting them all together or what you're thinking about these days on how you would tie the silos of low CAD systems together if you needed to do that or is that just a whole another seven hour conversation well to keep long story short i would just look at this hugely complicated mess well for me low CAD silo is not a hugely complicated mess Mm -hmm. since i've been there in that mess for quite a few years Mm -hmm. but if i'm looking at an abstract problem Mm -hmm. uh, my first intent would be to try to somehow find boundaries that would allow me to break this complex mess into separate specific problem areas, which can be tackled one by one. I would then try to prioritize the areas that are more important and which are essential for survival and the areas which can be ignored and the areas which are most important. Like we'll see if uh, that's core domain of the business or it's not core domain of the business. Uh, we'll see if secondary areas, they can actually be replaced. Like these problems can be solved with buying some software because it's quite often it's much easier to buy a component or a suite for 1,000 euros than just have a team trying to develop a similar replacement for multiple years. Mm-hmm. So uh, I will draw this uh, large map Large, large problem space, uh, breaking it into different problem areas, marking importance, marking maybe that my knowledge that this specific problem area is managed by team A and that uh, specific uh, sub-problem area is managed by team B and actually team A has all the control and team B has to use services or functionality that team A provides and they can't influence team A anyway and that team C has uh, almost unlimited funding because that's a hobby project of the CTO of the company, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll try to map all these influencing factors on this big context map. And once we broke this huge complicated mess into a set of somewhat isolated uh, areas, which represent our current understanding of the problem, of the situation. And once we uh, identified the most important parts which drive success or failure of an organization, company, or mission, etc., etc., we can dive into a specific bounded context or a specific problem boundary and start breaking it down maybe into some smaller concepts as well. And then if at some point we finally decide that a part of this problem space can be solved by implementing or coding our own software, only then we will start actually coding, first free, trying to freeze uh, to capture the domain model, trying to capture the real world to map the problem space into our solution space by following the language, by following the sentences, by following the domain experts, 
maybe by brainwashing them using uh, techniques for, uh, that were used by UFOs, etc., etc. <laughs> and then we try to find things that will not change as we evolve, and these things are the language, the relations, and then we'll try to evolve the solution to our problems in such a way that the boundaries take a here. And obviously, if it's possible, uh, it's better to design the system in such a way that it's a group of somewhat related components and that these components have such strong boundaries of its own that each component can be delegated to different teams or different developers to manage. Or even better, the definition is so well expressed and well understood that uh, one developer can write tests and the other developer can uh, implement functionality or one team can write tests for this specific uh, subcomponent, and the other one can uh, bother with implementation. So basically, we'll iterate from top, from high-level view, to really specific view, and we'll also keep in mind that the problem space is always changing. And the idea is to keep our understanding and solution up-to-date. However, while keeping the solution up-to-date with the problems, it should only bother about not having the perfect solution to existing problem, but the most efficient solution to existing problem. And sometimes some problems are better to be ignored. Like, for example, United States president. <laughs> nice. Hey, I've got my absentee ballot here. I'm about to vote. You have a, you're trying to influence me either way here? You got an opinion? I thought Elvis, Elvis Presley was a good one. <laughs> I don't know if I can write in someone who's dead, but... Um, so to wrap it up a little bit, one last question about that. So I've, I've gone through my context map. I've identified the boundaries that matter to me. I've got my big complex soup chopped up into nice digestible chunks. And someone tells me that I need all those silos to have some way to communicate with each other. And it seems like you could err on one side where you're trying to build a one-size-fits-all and say, okay, we're going to have a giant service bus or a giant shared messaging infrastructure that they can all use to talk to each other. Or you could say, no, simplicity wins. Each silo can, you know, if this guy wants to communicate with TCP and the other one wants to use REST and the other one wants to use SMTP, whatever, let them all do whatever they want. On those two extremes, do you have an opinion on how you might go about integrating those silos if that was the requirement? Well, yeah, sure. If you're starting with a new project, you basically, the option would be to pick a solution that the majority of developers are proficient with and that would be easier to maintain and that has lower risks in the long term. However, as it's usually in the, is in the real world, you have to integrate a set of silos which are already existing. They have an existing software, mm -hmm. they have an existing messaging or infrastructure teams in place, and they have also people who have completely different capabilities. And sometimes it might be impossible to connect uh, silo A or like bounded context uh, subdomain A with uh, subdomain B using TCP, uh, direct TCP sockets simply because team A knows only about XML and team B knows only about JSON and they all know only about HTTP. Mm -hmm. So uh, it might be tempting to provide uniform domain model or it might be tempting to provide uniform messaging infrastructure uniform tooling, uniform languages. However, the, in practice, there are like other real-world issues that prevent you from doing that. Mm -hmm. That's been my experience, for sure. Yes. And while doing so, basically, in most of the cases, we'll not have uh, a lot of choices. 
Mm-hmm. And options there will likely be painful to all sides that are participating or collaborating or fighting during the implementation of some solution. <laughs> uh, however, if we have an option, then ideally we would focus on something that is that simple, that is something rather ubiquitous in nature, and that is well understood. Mm-hmm. So, for example, given the choice between WCS uh, SOAP and plain JSON, I'd recommend to try JSON. Gotcha. Cool. Simple wins. Yes. It wins not because it's simple, but it's more efficient in the long term. Yes, I agree. Well, that was uh, a special episode. Now, <laughs> I don't know what that's going to end up being and how that'll come together edited, but uh, I enjoyed that conversation. I think we'll wrap that topic up and get back to where we were going. So any final thoughts on this before we wrap up this special episode of Tangent the Worst? <laughs> uh, okay, let's try not to do any more off-topic discussions or side questions from Kerry. Otherwise, uh, I might end up and uh, going all through the midnight tonight. <laughs> well, that, we will, we should try to avoid that, but I will re, I will point us back to the very beginning about 50 minutes ago. The question was actually relevant to episode 12's homework, uh, but I'm glad it went where it did because we did answer some questions I've been wondering about for a while, but um, we'll have to figure out how that fits into the, the study map and where this, where this thing goes. But uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. We'll, we're going to stop recording now and get into the next episode to actually finish what we said we were going to do at the start of this one and uh, we'll see you guys next time bye bye well and sorry about going slightly over the promised 20 25 minutes <laughs> i guess time boxing doesn't work really well in this podcast <laughs> it's just not gonna work I, we should just uh, accept reality here that i'm a yapper and i'll keep talking and i think you have the gift of gab as well renat so episodes are gonna go as long or as short as they need to be whatever feels right at the time and whenever one of us gets too tired and just our throats give out so just accept it it's just it's free deal with it right okay anyway <laughs> talk to you later see you guys later bye bye guys